Welcome to the Torah Resource Podcast. Tim Hegg is still taking a break from his Philippians study, which won't start back up again until September 29th following the fall festivals. In the meantime, we're playing a variety of Tim's teachings here on the podcast. In today's discussion, Tim is reading through a paper he wrote titled, The Given Name of Our Messiah, The Controversy Over Yeshua vs. Yahshua. This is a recording of a Shabbat afternoon teaching session at Beit Hillel Messianic Synagogue in Tacoma, Washington. These sessions take place following lunch and can sometimes last up to three hours. If you'd like to follow along with Tim's article, you can find a link in the show notes to download a copy. Okay, let's get into the study. This particular uh, man, I assume it's a man, on his website, and I've heard this from many others around the country, that they feel that the proper name, the proper pronunciation for Yeshua's name is is Yahshua. By those who, uh, and and he's saying that Yeshua is a a shortened form of the original Yahshua by those who want to remove any reference of Yah in the name of Yeshua. Note one of the opening statements in the email. We see above that the full sentence name is, and he doesn't have the vowels, but he's going to pronounce it, Yah, Yahshua. Notice the name contains the name Yah, followed by Hebrew Shah, (laughs) or Shua, salvation. That is Yahshua. The shortened form Yeshua no longer expresses Yahuwah's name clearly, it is passive voice putting the emphasis on Shua and means he saves. Now, sorry to get technical, but it is obvious that the author of this email does not know biblical Hebrew. First, the name Yah is one of God's names, right? It is everywhere spelled in the Tanakh as, you probably can't see that, but you can see it on your sheet, um, as Yod with a Kamets vowel and He with a Mapik. Or with a dot in the middle. Mm-hmm. Or it sometimes is spelled with the yod has a dot and so does the hay a dot. But it's never yod hey vav, ever. With the letter vav is the final letter of the name and without a vowel. You can never have two letters in a row, two consonants in a row, in Hebrew, without one of them, ha- without, with, well, if they're in the middle of a word, they both have to have a vowel, unless it's an olive. Yeah, but they're, they're, he's not pointing it as a vowel. He's pointing it as a. He doesn't have a. It doesn't have a dot as a, for a shuruk. Okay, again, this gets technical. There, are, the vowels in Hebrew were not originally written. Okay. So what did they do? They used certain consonants to stand for vowels. The vav, which is just a straight line, could either be an u or an o. Okay? The yod could be a number of different things. <laughs> could be an a or an e. Okay? And the hey at the end of a word would be an ah sound. All right. Well, Yah, if this is supposed to be, is, is Yahoo, Yahoo, then that Vav should have a dot in the middle. Right. So it is never written this way. With the, last, with the letter Vav is the final letter of the name and without a vowel. In that regard, there is only one letter of the Hebrew alphabet which, or alphabet, which can appear within a word without accompanying vowel, and that letter is olive. Olive can appear without a vowel, and they call it quiescent. And I could explain why, but it's too technical. Whenever the, the letter vav is found, it must either have an accompanying vowel, if the vav is acting as a consonant, or be pointed with a diacritic, in, that is a dot, in order to mark it as a vowel, either a shuruk or a... Cholam Vav. 
So either the dot's in the middle, which says oo, or is over the letter, which says o. Okay. Every time you have the word Joshua, well, not every time, the majority of the time you have Joshua in the Tanakh, it's spelled Yehoshua, with an O sound, not with an U sound. So when he's trying to pronounce the name Yahuwah, it's a bunch of hua, hui. <laughs> okay, moreover, when the Theophoric name, Theophoric means a name of God that's oftentimes added to a name, like my name. My first name is Timotheus. That's a Greek word, right? Which is... is your official name, Timotheus? No, but it's what my name, Timothy, comes from. Okay. Yeah. Um, and it, it's from the Greek meaning honor and the Greek word for God, theos. Well named. To honor God, right? So that's what is meant by theophoric. A theophoric name is, or a theophoric particle is when part of God's name is put into a common name for a person. Okay? So uh, the theophoric name Yah is, uh, is part of a personal, when it is part of the personal name, the second letter, He, always has a cholam vav as its vowel. Note that in the Tanakh there are only two proper names which incorporate the divine name Yah as part of the name. Uh, why did I have that Dalit Yod in there? I don't either. That's a mistake. Is it in your, your copy? It must be. Yeah. Yeah, okay. That's a mistake. There's going to be typos in this because I did it so quickly. I didn't proofread, so sorry. So what's the typo? The typo is that is this uh, Dalit Yod Hebrew. I don't know why it's there. I think it's supposed to be a dash. <laughs> yeah, no. So either have Yehoshua with a full Shurik. You see the second to the last letter. We're going right to left here. The one right here. It's a it's a line with the dot in the middle. That's a Shuruk. Or you can have it another way, which is called a kibbutz, which is three dots pointed sideways. says the same thing, ooh. Yehoshua, and the way that I note it in the transliteration is to put a carrot over the U, which means it's a shuruk, or not over the U, which means it's kibbutz. These are two different ways of spelling the proper noun Joshua, since biblical Hebrew uses either the kibbutz, as here, or the shuruk to represent the U sound uh, vowel in his name. The proper noun, Yehoshavet, and the TH is the way it's spelled in the English, right? Yehoshavat is likewise spelled with the He having the Cholem Vav. These are the only two names in the Hebrew that incorporate Yah as part of the name. Now, Yeah, that's just a yod. No hey. Oh, there's plenty of there's plenty of L names. Yeah. But not yod hey. Yeah. There is also a form of the verb yasha, which means to rescue or to save, which might appear to include the divine name, Yah, but actually does not. Twice the verb yasha appears in the third masculine singular hiphil imperfect in the form Yahoshia. Okay. Now I've got to explain. <coughs> Quick question. Yeah. So what would Yehoshua mean? Yah saves. God. Or Adonai Yodhevavhe saves. Or Yodhevavhe is salvation. Or Yodhevavhe is the savior. Or something to that effect. Okay. All right. Let me explain. So this is if if this gets too technical, just tell me to go on. Okay. Yes. Okay. Go ahead and do it anyway. All right. In Hebrew, they, we have what are called derived stems. Okay? Take the, the, take the, uh, the verb yasha, which means to save or to rescue or to deliver. Okay? If I put it in the call stem, it means he delivered or delivers or will deliver. Okay? All three tenses? Well, it's not a tense. It's an aspect in terms of... Let me explain. If I call means the basic stem, okay? 
If I put it in the niffle, it makes it passive. It's spelled differently, but it's the same root. It would mean he was saved or he will be saved, passive rather than active. Okay? If I put it in the PL, which it, I don't think it, it uh, I don't know if it uh, is found in the PL. The PL may be intensive or it may be repetitive. He will save and save again and save again and save again. I can make it into a participle. Moshav, <laughs> which sounds like some place to live, but at any rate, um, or, uh, yeah, Moshe, I should say. Or I can put it in the Hifil. The Hifil means he will cause something to be saved or he will cause someone to save. Okay? Causative. How do I make it into the Hifil? With verbs that begin with this letter Yod, the Yod turns into a Holomvav, an O sound, and a He is added. That's why it's called a Hifil with a sound, okay? So, that's what we have here. To rest, you say, might appear to include the divine name, but actually does not. Twice, Yeshua appears in the third masculine singer, Hifil imperfect, in the form of Yehoshua, Yehoshia. He saves or he will save. It's found a couple times. Fabre considers this spelling in Psalm 116.6 to be an Aramaism, that is, something that is borrowed from Aramaic rather than from Hebrew, and that of 1 Samuel 17.47 as unexplained or a corrupt text. They don't know what to do with it. That's how few times it's found. But more than likely, the spelling with the added hey is simply a fully written form. And I was going to bring my Hebrew Bible up here and show it to you, Okay, um, alongside the edges of the page uh, in your Hebrew Bible is what is called the Masorah. The Masorah means tradition, and it is the notes of the scribes. On another thing, let me get on a tangent here, from the same fellow in South Africa, he said another thing that's coming up in the group that he's with is they're saying you can't trust the Masoretes. The Masoretes were the scribes that, that wrote the text that we have right now that we use for our Hebrew Bible. Then what can you trust? Well, <laughs> I showed him that there are 18 in some lists, 21 in other lists, 24 in other lists, of the whole Tanakh, where they made changes. They said, it, we received the text this way, but we changed it and wrote it this way. They was. wrote it down. They wrote every time down, all 18 out of the whole Tanakh. They said, we want everybody to know and they put that note in a list, okay? Along the Masorah, the Hebrew Bible, they, every time there's something that they think another scribe could make a mistake on, they put a note. It is like this. Yeah, no, it's like, usually it's spelled this way, but twice it's spelled differently. And this is one of those two. So they put a note in the margin. It's called the Masorah Parva, the, or the Masorah Ketanah, the small Masorah. They say... Found two times like this. So in other words, don't change it. Right? Um, you know, we... So it would be similar to... Let me give you an example in, uh, in uh, English. So you're working as editing somebody's book. And usually he spells the, the word C-O-L-O-R. All of a sudden, on one page, he spells it C-O-L-O-U-R. You say, oh, he made a mistake. No, if you look at the context, he's talking about something he, re he read when he was in Canada. Okay, so in the margin, you write, don't change this spelling. This is correct. It's spelled this way one time in the book. That's what they did, okay? Well, um, in this one time when one of the liberal scholars says it's probably just corrupt, actually... In 1 Samuel 17.47, there is a note in the margin that says twice and written fully. In other words, written with the hay. Twice. And they tell you where the two are. Found twice, plan A, fully written. So this shows you that the Masoretes are being extremely... I mean, talk about OCD. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Talk the, about accuracy. Oh, my goodness. That's a good thing. That is a very good thing. Second, okay. So the name... Yeshua is not a passive voice, as he said, verbal form. Even the author of the email quoted above translates it as an active form. He saves. What would a passive be? He saved to be active. He was saved. He was saved. 
A passive voice would yield, he is saved, or he was saved, or he will be saved. Apparently, it is being taught that the name Yeshua is a truncated or shortened form of Yahshua, a name that never appears in the Tanakh. Never one time. Perhaps those who are teaching this are saying that Yeshua is a shortened form of Joshua, Yehoshua. In reality, there are four different spellings of the name Joshua in the Tanakh. The first one, can you tell any difference between these? <laughs> okay. All right. What do you see? See, you don't have, see this letter right here? Mm -hmm. You don't have it up here, right? Right. Okay, so that's the difference. And what's the difference here? You don't have any vowels on the yud. On the, yud. the only time this occurs is when the initial uh, letter yod is without shivah. This occurs only when the conjunction, the word and, or a preposition is attached to the word, in which case the prefixed particle combines with the yod to form the long vowel chirik yod. Examples are, so this is vihoshua. That means and Joshua. It loses its vowel. No, vihoshua. Or lihoshua. Or bihoshua. Lehoshua would be to or belonging to Joshua. Behoshua would be with Joshua or in the presence of Joshua. And then we have Yeshua. It may surprise people to know that the name Joshua is one time spelled as Yeshua in the Tanakh. This is in number, uh, Nehemiah 8.17 where the Hebrew text has Yeshua ben Nun, uh, Bean Nun, actually. Oh, yeah, isn't that kind of an Aramaic? Uh, bean, it's a good question. It's probably an older form of Ben. And it's, uh, it's what we call a construct form because it's son of. I have a question. Yeah. On number four, mm -hmm. uh, Joshua is one time spelled, and then in English, that would be Yeshua, wouldn't it? You have a, a long E in there. No, it's, it's, okay, initial zere can be an e or an a. So it's either Yeshua or Yeshua. Is that what that little line means? So it's not like our English long line. It, all, when I put a line over an e, it simply means it's a zere rather than a, rather oh. than a shava. Oh, thank you. Zere can be pronounced Yes. Do you say, when you say yes in Hebrew, how do you say it? Ken. It's with a zere. You don't hear anybody saying Cain. It happens particularly when you have it as the first vowel of a, of a word. Yeah. It can, it can be an S sound as well as an A sound. Oftentimes A, but sometimes E. As in Ken. Yeah. It probably, it probably originally would have been pronounced that way, but we get lazy. You know, it's like when we say, I'm singing in the rain. Singing? Singing. You know, why don't we say singing? Yeah. Go ahead. Um, we should get the mic, I guess. Oh, here, I got it, I got it, I got it. I like to sing that song. <laughs> yeah, it makes it easier to say eh. But I was curious, and so I got out my Septuagint mm -hmm. to see how it used to be in the old days. How and what used to be, the Zeray? Yeah. Well, Zeray isn't in a Septuagint. I know that. Okay. But I wanted to see how it was trans-obliterated. I mean, uh -huh. transliterated. Okay. So, um, I went to all of the, you know, to a lot of places where the word that had a tsere was transliterated into uh, Greek to see whether it was an eta. Epsilon or an or, eta. Or an eta. Yeah. And so the Tsere always got an eta. Yeah. And the, the But sometimes the eta can is also pronounced as an eh in a quick in a quick syllable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, you can't tra you can't I, I I like what you're saying, that's a good idea. Just to see in general yeah. but how it was transliterated. But you can't you can't uh, you can't it, count on that because it was for very instance, consistent. I know, but you can't it's consistent, but you can't count on it being giving you how it was pronounced by the Hebrews. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm saying. Okay. And my, let me give you an example. People that 
our, we had six families from former Soviet Union that we sponsored, I've talked about. Every one of them, how did they say my name? Timothy, how did they say it? Timothy. They don't have a TH. Timothy. So, if, they, if you were to look in all the Russian transliterations, they would say, oh, he always pronounced his name Timothy. No, I pronounce my name Timothy. And that's because in English we have a TH. So you can't, languages are going to hear vowels differently and they're going to have rules with regard to vowels. Some languages don't like diphthongs. Mm -hmm. A diphthong is where you have two vowels together that make one sound. Some languages don't like diphthongs, particularly oriental languages. So you can't take a a translation... And, and make that work back to the original is what I'm saying. But it's, it's a good idea, yeah. And so how did you search for every Ada? Or how did you search for every Zere? I just got some examples okay. of, All right. of names, yeah. uh, person's names or place names that had a Zere. Right. And looked okay. yeah. to see. Sure. And without yeah. fail, they used Ada. Well, you do the same thing with... Uh, uh, Yesus, uh, 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 Yesus, right? Because it's yeah. Well, we'll talk about that in just a minute. Go ahead. But it was it was transliterated by Hebrew speakers. So uh, well, wait, 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 wait. Yeah, no, it wasn't transliterated. It was translated. That's a whole other thing. Well, you have to remember, there's a lot of things in Hebrew that don't carry over. To Greek when it comes to transliteration. And that's what I'm going to talk about right now. That's okay. Okay. So, it, it sometimes, one time spelled as Yeshua. The Hebrew text has Yeshua being noon. Okay. Let's continue on. And Joshua, the son of Nun, is Yehoshua in Exodus with an. Is that true with an olive at the end, or did I make a mistake? Mistake, yeah, that's not right. How am I getting all? How am I getting all these mistakes? Because you went too fast. I must have. Um, yeah, Yehoshua, Yehoshua, and the Hebrew of Sirach. But uh, this is a quote. This is a quote from somebody from uh, a Theological Dictionary of the New Testament. Um, I'm going to just make this a little smaller so that I can see it all at once. So basically, this is out of one of the texts that the man, that the guy, um, oops, what did I want, 220. So this is a quote from the book that this author uh, quotes. Joshua, son of Nun, is Yehoshua in, and he gives those, and Hebrew of Sirach 46.1, but Yeshua in uh, uh, Nehemiah 8.17 The high priest Joshua, the son of Yozadech, who returned with Zerubbabel from exile, is always called Yehoshua in Haggai and Zechariah, and always Yeshua in Ezra and Nehemiah. Yehoshua is the name of the two men in and he gives those, while Second uh, Chronicles 31.15 calls a Levite under Hezekiah Ye- Yeshua. And, the, and this form of the name is also found in post-exilic priestly and Levitical families, and in the reference to the re- references to their return from the exile and is rubbable in Joshua. The full form thus prevails up to 500, which is when the people came back from Babylon, and after that, up to First Chronicles 7 and Sirach 46, the shorter form, Yeshua. We see then that this shortened form of the more full name, Yehoshua, is the result of a shift of pronunciation which occurred following the return of the exiles from Babylon. Now, remember, what happened in, how long were, how long were we in Babylon? 400 years? 70 years we were supposed to be there. That's what it says. After 70 years, I'll bring you back. Not Maybe not everyone was there. We don't know in the first and second deportation how much time elapsed between the two. But at any rate, it was enough for a generation to be born and to grow and not to, and some to die, and not to have Hebrew as their first language. And the second generation coming right up. Yeah, and the second generation coming right up. This is why in Ezra and Nehemiah, when they're reading the Torah scroll, they have to have it, they have to have, have it uh, translated, right? Okay. So, 
What he's saying is, by the time you come back to the Babylonian, uh, the return of the Babylonian exile, they have, they have shortened Yehoshua to Yeshua. We've done the same thing in our English, right? We've shortened things down a lot of times. So it's not, it's understandable linguistically. We see then that this shortened form of the more full Yehoshua is the result of a shift of pronunciation which occurred following the return of the exiles from Babylon. It was not theologically motivated nor the work of the much later emerging Christian church, as is being said, but was the natural result of how the Hebrew language evolved during and following the Babylonian exile in terms of various accents and shifts in the pronunciation of words or vowels. This. Excuse me. I read someplace that what? Keep telling me, I'll get there. I read someplace that in Babylon, because of the tremendous need, they were a more Torah keeper than ever before. You know who said that? Well, the Babylonian Talmud come out came out of exactly. that. Exactly, it's the rabbis. <laughs> so they would not never, true? ever, ever, ever want to admit that the Jewish people gave up Torah. And I'm not saying they did. But the fact of the matter is, we have it in the Bible itself that when they came back from the exile, and and, and, uh, Ezra is reading, is Ezra and Nehemiah, I forget, which is reading, and they're they're saying, wait, there's a festival. We didn't even know this festival, you know, Passover's coming up. Right? Right. And they said, we, or was it Sukkot? Sukkot, yeah. We didn't even know about this festival. And they started weeping. And he said, no, 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 don't, don't cry. It's a time of our rejoicing. Why didn't they know? For 70 years, they didn't celebrate Sukkot? Well, so, at least for part of it. So, and they also had to have it translated. It said they could, they, it had to be translated into their, when he was reading, they had to have a translator. So would you say then the Yushalayim Babylon, Bab- Talmud is more accurate than the Babylonian? The Babylonian Talmud does not even exist until the 5th or 6th century and isn't finalized until the 8th century. Oh. It's way late. Okay. Yep. But good point. Okay, here we go. Uh, Let's see. This shift in pronunciation is likewise witnessed by the Septuagint, which was translated from the Hebrew text beginning in the 3rd century BCE for everywhere the name Joshua, Yehoshua, whether it's spelled with one vowel or another, is found in the Tanakh. It is transliterated into the Greek as Yesus, with its inflected form as Yesu, genitive. Yes, no, okay, now i got to explain. In, in Greek, yeah, in, in the Septuagint, in Greek. Pertains to a man, right? No, no. Okay, nominative is the way you spell the word if it's the subject. Okay. Genitive means it's possessive or has a simple another function. If I say the son of Tim, I have to put Tim in the genitive. I spell my name differently in that sentence. In the Greek. In the Greek, right. If I say, um, let's go to Tim, I have to spell Tim differently because now it's dative. If I say, um, I'm... I I will, um, I will. Um, what should I? What verb should I use? I will hit Tim. That has to be accusative. It has to be spelled differently. Yet now, not always. Sometimes the spelling is the same for different functions. In in Greek, a, a name or a word that ends with ou is genitive. Yeshua's name is what in Greek? Yesu. Right? There's no S on the name of Yeshua. Yesu. But that can't be because it would be genitive all the time. So what did they do? They added an S to make it declinable. That would be typical. Why? Because it's masculine. Masculine nouns and, and feminine nouns are spelled differently. Mm-hmm. In okay? In Greek. So, how do you make a subject, singular, masculine noun in Greek? It has an O-S at the end most times, not always. Not always. So it has Jesus. No, Zeus. No. Yeah, exactly, Zeus. Zeus. O-S or O-U-S? Uh, O-S. Okay. So, that's what I mean when I say 
Jesus, with its inflected forms as Yesu, genitive, Yesu, Yesoi, dative, only in Exodus, Deuteronomy, and Joshua, or Yesu, elsewhere. That's because Yesoi looks like it's plural. If you don't have if you don't have the circumflex over the iota, Yesun, accusative, Yesu, vocative. Vocative is when you're addressing somebody. You say, "Oh, Timothy," or "Oh, Peter." That's vocative. You're voicing your you're you're calling them. Okay. Uh, that's another one. This corroborates the findings of Forrester in the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament that after the return of the exiles, the pronunciation of the name Joshua was regularly pronounced as Yeshua. Why? Because the, the Septuagint translates it as Yesu. And I'll get to that in a minute. Had the Septuagint translators wanted to transliterate the, the pronunciation of the name Joshua was... Uh, oh, had the... Oh, wait to transliterate the more ancient pronunciation Yehoshua with internal long oval, theoretically they could have written it as Yehosu with an omega, with letter omega to present the long O sound of Cholom Vav. Of course, they didn't. And there's a reason why they wouldn't have any rate, because eta and omega hardly ever fit together. It's just a, com- it's a combination of vowels. It would be like putting... I don't even know what I would, how I would do it in English, but anyway. Moreover, it's obvious, now here we go, here's obvious why the Greek Septuagint transliterated the Hebrew name Yehoshua as they did in its post-exilic pronunciation of Yeshua. For in the Greek alphabet, there's no letter that has the sound of the Hebrew letter Yod, equivalent to our English Y. There's no Y in Hebrew. I mean in Greek. There's no Y sound. And no letter that has the sound of the Hebrew Hey equivalent to our English letter H. The only time that Greek has the spirantized hey, what do I mean by spirantized? Spirantized in linguistics means when you let air out. Like W, WH, is spirantized. Okay? Now when we have an H at the beginning of a word, like the, like the word hat, we, we, let, we let air out. We say hat. Otherwise it would be at. Right? We have to say hat. There's nothing in the Greek for that. The only time the Greek has the spirantized H sound is if a word begins with initial vowel and has the rough breathing diacritical marking on that initial vowel. For example, note the name. This is, these, the V's are N's in, in uh, Greek. Okay? That's the, that's the new. So this, this would be pronounced. You see the little... Yeah, it's, it's too small. Let me make it bigger. Let me make it bigger here. Hold on a sec. So you can see it. Okay, you see it right here? You see the backwards quote? That's a rough breathing mark. Okay, the other mark means that's the accent. That's where you put the accent. So this is ha, and then two ends, uh, hana. Yeah, hana. Okay? Can you enlarge it a little bit more? I can. I have that opportunity. So it's like a quote, and then it's, it's like a backwards. Yeah. The other, the other, the the regular breathing mark is the other way, not spirantized. But the only time you have that sound in Greek is if it's the first letter and that letter is a vowel. That's the only time. You can't put a ha sound in the middle of the word or at the end of the word. It's not there. There's no way to do it. So think about it for a minute. Ya shu. Yahoshua. How would you do Yaho? You couldn't. You could say Yahoshua, but you couldn't say Yahoshua. That'd be an impossibility. In Greek. In Greek. Right. Excuse me, but that that uh, quotation mark in front of Ava, one of them is a quotation mark and the other one looks like something else. It's an accent. That's where the accent goes. It's not it's not Hana, it's Hana. That's where you put the accent. Have you ever wondered how the Bible was put together? The Bible we have now is the final form of what took millennia to write and compile. These books that we receive as canon are the result of a long history of God's people living with and accepting the Word of God as it was delivered by His prophets and apostles. But what do we know about this history? Where did it all begin and how did it unfold? 
Much of this history is speculative, at least in terms of its ancient settings, but the Bible itself contains much of this history, and we are therefore able to piece together a reasonable estimation of how the process unfolded. In the book, How We Got Our Bible, Tim Hegg looks at the formation of the Tanakh or the Old Testament and the Apostolic Scriptures or New Testament, including introductory matters of textual criticism, manuscript history, canonization, inspiration, and translation. Get How We Got Our Bible by Tim Hegg for 25% off through the end of July with the coupon code 2021HOW. That's How We Got Our Bible by Tim Hegg in softcover on sale for 25% off with the coupon code 2021HOW through July 31st. That's coupon code 2021HOW, 2021HOW, all in lowercase. Learn how we got the Bible in the form that we have it today. Get a copy for your personal library or as a gift for family and friends. Other options available in the product are 11 audio sessions with Tim Hegg teaching through each chapter of this book. In these lectures, Tim adds extra commentary and explanations as he takes the students through this material. Okay, so where the initial alpha has the rough breathing mark giving the pronunciation of the name Hana, as in Luke 2.36. Since the Hebrew name Yehoshua has the spirantized H sound in the middle of the word, there was no way for the Greek to transliterate this phenomena since the rough breathing diacritic giving the hey sound can only be on the first letter of a word when that letter is a vowel and not a consonant. Moreover, are you ready for this? There's no letter combination in Greek that has the sound of the Hebrew sheen. There's no S-H in Greek. They're missing several things. Equivalent to our consonant blend S-H in English. With these limitations, the best the Greek could approximate the Hebrew Yeshua was to use the diphthong E-A. I, the E-A. So you say that real close together, you get ye, ye, like ya. Well, like a Y. Ye, Iota, Eta, uh, to form the Y sound, Ea, and then to use the sigma, which is equivalent to English S, to approximate the SH sound, and finally the diphthong U, to give the U sound of the Hebrew vowel Shuruk or Kibbutz. Finally, this, since Greek is an inflected language, meaning that nouns receive different endings to identify their gender as well as their function within the clause or sentence, the final A vowel in the name Yeshua would have been confusing since most proper nouns ending in alpha are feminine in gender. And thus a sigma was added to the diphthong U yielding Yesus to form the nominative masculine proper noun. Okay. Now, I checked this with uh, my good friend uh, Christopher Hansen, who's online right now with his mother, Carrie. I think they're both online. Um, I've heard this from, sometimes we watch things on television from England, you know. We like especially the, uh, the uh, auction shows that are over in England where they're auctioning off. Uh, well, I, we looked at something the other night that it was a pa- painting that was going for $7 million dollars. And there was a whole gallery of people uh, bidding on it. Yeah, but who was that artist? I don't know. Well, they had to be pretty famous. Uh, Dolly. Oh, a Dolly. Oh, okay. sure. Yeah. yeah. No wonder. But at any rate... Salvador. Salvador, yeah. Uh, at any rate, what, what, uh, what I hear them... I've heard people just talking and, you know, they're interviewing people in the audience where they were saying... And they said, yeah, I came, I came with me car. I said, no, it's my car. No. <laughs> so I checked with uh, Christopher. He said, yeah, they say that sometimes in Australia too. Yeah. Me. It's a different part of England they live this in. This is back, this, 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 is, this is when it, when English used to be inflected. Not Middle English, but Old English had an inflected form. You had me was when you said noun, that is the subject. No, that is the object. He hit me. You have I when it's the subject. You have my when it's genitive. It's spelled differently. Well, it, our language is no longer inflected, so we don't have to worry about that, but it shows us that there was a time when even our English was inflected, that you spelled the word differently depending upon how it was being used in the sentence. So you wouldn't say that was just a Cockney accent? 
It's a carryback. It's a it's a carryback to something, but I it's I don't know. It's confusion. But just the very fact that they say they use one form for both me and my. Uh, yeah, they don't know why they do it. They just do it. Okay. Your mama taught them how to do that. So the best that we could do then in Greek was to have it say Yeshua or Yesu, Yesus, yielding Yesus to form the nominative, which would be the, the base form of the name. There are those who are teaching that the final letters of the Greek name Yesus, that is, Zeus, were used in order to give honor to the pagan god Zeus. For example, someone who goes by the name of Rav Shaul writes, The next point I want to make concerning the name Jesus is that the name of the Messiah is a sentence name to convey the idea, Yahuwah is salvation. Where he got Yahuwah is interesting because he thinks the Tetragrammaton was pronounced Yahuwah. There's not one drop of evidence for that. Not one. In fact, it's most would say it was pronounced Yehovah, or something to that effect. But we don't know. And neither does Nehemiah Gordon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, who knows? They're, because they didn't put the vowels on it. They didn't want people pronouncing it. No, but it was the... Uh, then they, there some people said that the wall, or the, the bottom used to be a wall, right? You know, yeah. No yeah. one knows. Yeah, well, here's the, here's the issue. Where that got started was the fact... In fact, you can go back to older grammars, and even some newer grammars, and they spell Vav as W-A-W. You know why? Most people don't either, unfortunately. It's because in German, how do you pronounce a W? With a V. Who were the first ones to put together modern Hebrew grammars? It was the Germans. The Germans in the in the eighteen hundreds were were writing the early the early lexicons and so forth and so on. They did everything with a W. So you hear people saying "Wow, uh, you know, Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Dalit, Wow." What? No, Vav. It's because they don't realize that the W was pronounced V in German, and that became the German uh, lexicons and the German grammars became kind of the basis for how other grammars. Went on, but eventually a good grammar would change it in English to V A V rather than W A W. Do you suppose this silly thought comes to mind? That's why it was a German that produced the Holocaust. <laughs> That's a strange. You know, huh? you know the, you, the, the, the most of the early grammarian uh, Hebrew grammarians in in Germany were very sympathetic to the Jews, mm-hmm. and some of them were Jewish themselves, mm-hmm. Gesinius and so forth. Uh, I, I, I take that back. I'm not sure if he was Jewish or not, but I th- think he was. But at any rate, um, yeah, you have, they were very, they learned their Hebrew from the Jews. When did that change? Was, it was before Hitler. I mean, that prejudice was already there. Oh, uh, uh, we're talking about the Holocaust here. For those of you online, you maybe not have heard that conversation. Um, my studies of the Holocaust is this, that the majority of German people were not for it, but they weren't, weren't willing to die as a result. Yeah. Because the Nazi regime was just as quick to cut off your head as to say hi to you if they, if they saw you befriending Jews and so forth and so on. But wasn't there eventually a whole lot of there were, Gentile... There were a lot of Gentiles that helped Jews, no doubt about it. Yeah, but I mean, now they're way too. There were a lot that were against the Jews eventually. Oh, they? yes, the majority. Yeah. Because they wanted to save their own skin. Yeah. Yeah. And some of them hated the Jews because they were taught to hate Jews. That's it. Yeah. yeah. All right. So <clears throat> this very statement that us, that Zeus at the end of Jesus is about uh, Zeus and the information it purports is often heard among those who believe the name Yeshua was formulated in order to deny the deity of Yeshua, that is, to remove the divine name Yah from the name of our Messiah. But not only is this idea entirely unfounded, it likewise gives evidence that the author and those who may follow this line of argumentation have no working knowledge of the Greek language. 
As noted above, the Greek language is inflected, meaning words receive different prefixes, infixes, and suffixes, depending on whether the word is a verb or a noun, and how it functions within a sentence. Important for our topic is the obvious fact that a noun ending in the diphthong, oo, is generally understood as being a masculine noun in the genitive case. This is why the sigma was added in the final letter to the name, in, as the final letter to the name Yesu, yielding Yesus so that it could be properly inflected to correspond to its use in a given sentence. It was impossible to leave the name Yesu because this is the common genitive form. The sigma was added in order to conform the transliterated name to proper Greek grammar, Yesus being the nominative form from which the other inflected forms, genitive, accusative, dative, and vocative, would be declined. And I just give you a couple of quotes. The Septuagint retained the later form Yeshua and made it declinable by adding a nominative sigma. We must not omit mention of the mixed declension, which arose because of its convenience, especially for foreign names. What is a mixed declension? It means when, when genitive and accusative, not accusative, genitive and dative are spelled the same way. Then you have to let the context tell you. Um, which arose because of its convenience, especially for foreign names. The stem ends in a long vowel or diphthong, which receives a sigma for nominative and a nun or a nu for accusative, remaining unchanged in vocative, genitive, and dative. Singular, Jesus is the most conspicuous of many New Testament texts, and that is from Moulton, a grammar of New Testament Greek, four volumes, which is far and away the standard grammar that everybody goes to to prove one point or another. Thus, to suggest that the Greek transliteration of the name Yeshua in the form Yesus was intentionally altered from Yesu to Yesus in order to include Zeus in honor of a pagan deity, Zeus, shows an ignorance of the manner in which Koine Greek functions and is a complete fabrication lacking any historical or grammatical foundation. One only needs to look at how the Septuagint translates the proper name Yeshua, uh, Joshua and see how the Septuagint translators rendered this name long before the emerging of the Christian church in the late first century of the Common Era and following. Remember, the Septuagint was translated in the first three or the last three centuries of before the coming of Yeshua. Okay? Yeah, right. Um, okay, so... Um, Let's see. In fact, the Septuagint tra- transliterates the Hebrew name Joshua, Yehoshua, as Jesus 169 times and never by any other spelling or transliteration. Given the long history of the Greek transliteration for the name Yehoshua in the Septuagint, it is clear why the three times we find the name Joshua in the Apostolic Scriptures is spelled the same way, Jesus. This is additional confirmation that the Hebrew name Yehoshua, meaning Yah saves or Yah brings salvation, was pronounced Yeshua in the post-exilic era and thus transliterated into Greek as Jesus. And I give you the, I give you the three times it's found in the apostolic scriptures and I underline the Greek so you can see it's, it's the same all the way through. Now, we have genitive, genitive, nominative. Okay? So when you have genitive, it ends in O-U or Omicron, Upsilon, and so forth. But... Okay. Those who, against all sound reason and data, am I being strong enough here? Go right ahead. Uh, insist that the name Yeshua unwittingly preserves honor to the pagan deity Zeus, likewise teach that this was a common practice in naming people and places in the Greek and Roman culture. Now, whenever I hear somebody say it was the common practice, I figure, okay, this is easy. If it's the common practice, I'll be able to find it in three minutes. Well, what about when they tried to call Paul Zeus and Hermes or whatever? They were in Athens. Well, um, I didn't put that in here, but I could look at it, but I'll, I'll, I'll point to it in a moment here. So, I say this statement has no basis whatsoever in history nor in the realm of general linguistics that uh, it was a common practice that people's names and places in Greek and Roman culture incorporated some um, uh, honor of the deity Zeus. The first important fact to realize is that just because a cluster of consonants and vowels sound like another word does not indicate that the sound-alike cluster of letters is derived from or has a connection to the word or name that shares a similar sound. You can't read Dr. Seuss anymore because it's all about Zeus. He's dead anyway. Just because the final syllable of the Greek name Jesus is Seuss resembles the English pronunciation of Zeus means nothing. 
not only because it is well known from a basic linguistic perspective that words which sound alike do not necessarily have any etymological connection. Consider our, our two words, real and real. Does the word real with two E's have anything to do with the word real with E-A? No. Just because they sound alike doesn't mean anything. Anybody that has had any information at all in linguistics knows this is the case. But more importantly is this. The pronunciation Zeus is an English pronunciation, but not the way the name was pronounced in ancient Greece. The Greek of the Greco-Roman times pronounced the name Zeus as Zeus. Why? Because the epsilon upsilon is not a blend. It's not found as a diphthong in the Hebrew. I mean in the Greek. So they would have pronounced the epsilon and the upsilon as two separate vowel sounds. Zeus. Being each pronounced and not blended as our English oo. So not only is it wrong to think sound-alike clusters of letters indicate a common origin, in the case of Jesus compared with Zeus, there is no sound-alike except in modern English pronunciation of Zeus. And if you go to Germany, they pronounce it differently. Okay? If you go to the Netherlands, they pronounce Zeus differently. Our pronunciation Zeus is strictly English. It's not Greek. It's not a Greek pronunciation. And secondly, even more obvious why the claim that Jesus contains uh, a reference to Zeus is absolutely wrong is the fact that when names are compounded with references to the pagan god Zeus, the name used was Dio. You don't find... And you know, there has been a whole project done for the last, I don't know how many years. It's always being touted at SBL and so forth and so on. It's called the... Uh, I put it in the footnote, didn't I? Um, lexicon of Greek personal names. It's produced by Oxford University. It's been an ongoing major, major thing where they have, they have scouted through every possible known ancient Greek literature and made an, a lexicon of every name that they found. So when I, when I saw this, I thought to myself, this will be easy. <laughs> you know why? They put it on the web. Oh. You can go to the website. Yeah. Okay, so, um, when they're talking about Dios, they use the word, or the, the Zeus, they use the word Dio. Dio in, in Greek means God. It's another word for God. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, um, the name used was Dio. Dio, and I should say not, Zeus. That's a typo. According to the lexicon of Greek personal names, the Theophoric names based upon the god Zeus used the Greek root Dio. Thus, Diogenes, Diogenia, Diodotus, Diodorus, Diophilus. What does that mean? Loved by Zeus. Diocles. Diocleia, etc. They have them all listed in this lexicon. Not one with anything that sounds like Zeus. Names that are compounded with reference to Zeus did not utilize the name Zeus, but rather Dio, which means sprung from Zeus or the gods and godlike. Therefore, and why? Because Zeus was was supposedly the top dude. Therefore, those who believe and teach that it was the common practice in naming people in places in the Greek and Roman culture to embed Zeus into the name in order to honor the pagan god Zeus are entirely mistaken and believing something that that so-called teachers have fabricated from their own imaginative minds. Along the same lines, the fact that Rav Shaul's website has the following statement also makes it clear that he is leading people astray by his failure to do honest research. He says, as a matter of fact, the name Jesus did not even exist in the English language 400 years ago, as evidenced by the fact that it was not recorded in the original 1611 King James Bible. Well, guess what? The reality is that there is not one letter J in the entire 1611 King James Bible, and thus all names now spelled with a J were spelled with an I when the 1611 KJV was printed. For example, John is spelled Yaon. James is spelled yeah, yeah, I don't know, Yaimus. 
and Jonah is spelled Yonah. Likewise, the word justified, as in Romans 5.1, therefore having been justified by faith, is spelled justified. 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 We'd have a hard time communicating in that culture. The reason is obvious and well known. The letter J did not enter the English language as a universally accepted letter until after the 1611 KJV was printed sometime around 1635. You didn't. You you can't find anything before 1635 of English printed literature that has a J in it. Wow, it's not there. <laughs> so this idiot um, says, you know, proof is that yeah, yeah, Jesus, the name Jesus, isn't even in the 1611 Bible. Duh. <laughs> and people and people follow this guy. Come on. They like his name. It's not his name. No, I mean Rav Shaul. I know, that's not his name. Well, that's right. <laughs> Otherwise, he would have been had to live in Babylon during the exile because that's when they came up with the word Rav. All of the rabbis that are, have Rav are supposedly were rabbinically ordained at the time when, as they lived in Babylon. Yeah? You got your hand up? Oh, give give uh, Pass the mic. give Mr. Hall the mic. Oh, sorry. In the King James abbreviation, was a J and I as well? Pardon me. What kind of abbreviation? KJV. Oh, no, it was not abbreviated. There was no J in in 1611. It would have been it would have been KIV. Because James is Eamus. Yeah. That's a late... The King James Version, yeah. However, if you look in the 1611... By the way, you can look at the 1611 online, right? I mean, it's all there. Okay? I went online and just put letter J in, and it said not found. <laughs> I said, okay, I understand that. I just wanted to say if I just wanted to see if they did it right. But of course the name Jesus is found 941 times in the 1611 KJV. So once again this argument against the name Yeshua and the Greek Jesus is entirely without substance. Finally, Rav Shaul in his attempts to persuade people of his self-made teaching presents his argument as though based upon numbers of scholarly works. He quotes from Theological Dictionary of the New Testament, the New Century Bible, he keeps going, all these different things. I didn't take the time to look at all of the, uh, uh, you know, all of the sources that he supposedly uh, uses, but I did, I did take time to look at one. I say, in his attempts to persuade people of his self-made teaching, he presents his arguments as though based upon numbers of scholarly works. But if one consults that uh, the works, it should be the works he marshals to verify his claims, it becomes immediately obvious, obvious that he has neither either misunderstood that source, this the source he quotes, or has taken only a snippet of the article and not reckoned with the full context. For example, Rav Shaul quotes from the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament from the entry Jesus as follows in this page. And I, I just clipped it out of his email. This is how he put it. Now, Obviously, he retyped this. How do I know? Because there's typos in it. And because I, I opened up my theological dictionary in the New Testament, and it's a full page. It's not just a little block. But this is what he says. As a matter of fact, the name Jesus did not even exist in the English language 400 years ago, as evidenced by the fact that it was not recorded in the original 1611 King James Bible. But let's dissect that name anyway as that has come to be the accepted name of the Messiah today, we need to address it. And here, it's on your sheet. I gave it to you there, right? Okay. So, here's what he wrote, and then I typed, I, I copied and pasted it from my own work. Notice above the last, uh, this is his words, okay? Notice above the last underlined sentence admits that the shortened form Yeshua no longer expresses the intent of the name that Yahuwah is salvation. Yeshua means he saves, and the emphasis is on salvation instead of on the Savior, Yahuwah. We see above that the full sentence name is Yehoshua. Notice the name contains, and he left something out there, notice the name contains the name Yah, 
That doesn't say that anywhere in there. Followed by the Hebrew Shua, salvation, Yahshua. The shortened form Yeshua no longer expresses Yahuwah's name clearly. It is passive voice putting the emphasis on Shua and means he saves. I've already said it's not passive voice. He doesn't know enough to do that. But that's, I just quoted him directly. But the quote from the uh, Theological Dictionary of the New Testament is far from complete and is misinterpreted. The extracted snippet in the image from page 289 of the article is not completely accurate. The final section of the quote, the image above, uh, some of the words are changed when compared to what is actually written in the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament itself. Rav Shaul has put some of his own words in the quote. Here is the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament. Here is what it actually has. The full form, Yehoshua, is a sentence name. And he's quoting here somebody else. He's not, he's not saying that himself. He's quoting from, this is all a quote from another scholar, in which the subject comes first and presents a, a form of the divine name, yod heh and in which the verb is a subsidiary form of the verb yasha, which is also found in names like Elishua or Avishua and Palkishua, and which means to help. Philo's explanation, while not wholly accurate. Oh, where is that? Philo's explanation, dot, 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 dot. Why did he take out, while not wholly accurate? <laughs> Recognizes the two parts. Jesus Soteria Kuriu. So that means Jesus, Savior, Lord. More exact is the interpretation in a papyrus of the 3rd or 4th century A.D., Jesus Yo Soteria. Now, what does that mean? That's an abbreviation for... Uh, that's an abbreviation for yod heh Really? Yes. Why? Where are we at? This is in a papyri. They did, they did yod, uh, I mean iota, which is for the yod, and vav, which is for a... I mean, and omega, which is for a vav. Okay. That was one... In, in some of the papyri, that's one of the ways that they uh, shortened yod heh The rabbis, too, were aware of the two parts of the name. And now he's talking about Midrash Rabbah on number 16 and so forth and so on. Hoshua is called uh, Yehoshua. Actually, it should be Yehoshua is called... No, Hoshua is called Yehoshua in Numbers 13.6. Yod is added because in view of the wickedness of the spies, Moses said... And this, this yod hey. Well, that's, that's not what, uh, notice what it says, yod slash slash hey. What does he have up here? He just has yod hey. So he's thinking it's yah. That's an abbreviation for yod hey vav hey in rabbinic literature. So he missed that one too. The yod thus indicates the tetragrammaton or its abbreviation. And he missed that one. The shortened form, Yeshua, no longer expresses the theophoric element clearly. Where's the theophoric element in his quote? The shortened form, Yeshua, no longer expresses... Oh, wait a minute. He left that out. What's a theophoric? A theophoric is when you take part of a divine name and put it in somebody's personal name. Like my name, Timothy. Timothy is, has theos, short, shortened form of theos. Timotheos, which means honoring God. Or to honor God. So he, he left that out. Clearly, directing attention simply to the verb uh, yasha. cross Sirach, the wisdom of Sirach 46.1, which references, uh, with reference to Joshua. And I've I, uh, translated it for you, which is not in his, it wasn't in the original. Who became great according to his name regarding salvation of his chosen ones. And I say, compare the underlying words to the quote. What is more, Rav Shaul also quotes from page 290 of the Theological Dictionary in the New Testament article indicating that the Greek Yesu is a masculine form of Yaso, uh, the goddess of salvation. But he fails to indicate, one, that this is a quote from H. Lemire within uh, uh, Forster's, there should be an R in there, Forster's article, and two, that Forster discounts this notion. He quotes it as though this is something that the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament uh, affirms, but he didn't, he didn't give us the last 
part of the quote. By assimilation to Greek mythology in the Greek forms of Jewish names leads us into Hellenized Jewish circles, that is, into circles which approximate culturally, socially, and religiously to Hellenism, and which do not participate in early Christian mission. In any case, the formation of Jesus for Yeshua is centuries older than the Christian period. Early Christianity simply adopts the current Greek form of the Hebrew name Yeshua. It does this quite naturally and with no deliberate policy of choosing related or intelligible Greek names after the manner of small Hellenizing groups. In other words, the last paragraph of the work he quotes undermines his very purpose. But he, of course, he didn't quote that. So on his website, it sounds like, oh, well, he has looked at all of these scholars and they agree with him. That's not honest at all. This is just one example of how Rav Shaul tries to make his argument solid by quoting from scholarly sources and selecting only snippets that appear to support his conclusions and hiding the parts that obviously discount his position. This is not only unscholarly, but it is deceptive. Okay, so what's the conclusion? The name given to our Messiah was Yeshua in accordance with the divine word given to Yosef. She will bear a son, and I have... There's a type. Oh, I know why. It, it, I copied it out of the accordance, and it kept the, uh, it kept some of the uh, note. So, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, Yeshua, for he will save his people from their sins. Note that the uh, note the emphatic use of the pronoun in the Greek. I have it underlined. Let me make it bigger. In Greek, you don't need this first word, autos. Why? Because the subject is contained in the verb. This word right here means he will save. You don't need the word he here. So when you put the pronoun in in addition, and when you put it as the first word in the sentence, almost inevitably, what are you doing? You're making it emphatic. He himself is the way you would translate it. He himself will save his people from their sins. So note the emphatic use of the pronoun in the Greek. You shall call his name Yeshua, for he himself will save his people from their sins. The name Yeshua means he will save, and this in itself shows that Yeshua is one with yod heh and that he himself will save sinners, for he and the Father are one. You know, I, I guess the thing that, that concerns me the most is this. That there are, because of the website, because of the, the access, to, uh, access to this kind of information, people who unfortunately are unable, and I'm not holding them accountable, they're unable to dissect what he's saying because they just don't know the languages, they don't know where he's going with it, but they just presume he's right because he sounds sound smart. Exactly. What does it do? It gets us off of the real important things. Learn to love one another. Learn to forgive one another. Learn to be witnesses for Yeshua. Learn to know how to walk in a way that pleases the Lord. All of those things. Our mission at Torah Resource is to provide biblically-based education for disciples of Yeshua. If you would like more information about Torah Resource or to browse our product catalog and free resources, please go to TorahResource.com. To download a free triennial tour portion reading schedule, please check the show notes for this episode. Thank you for listening to the podcast. And if you haven't already, please subscribe and share this resource with your family and friends. Be sure to join us again next week as we study through the Torah with Tim Hague.